Today, church, we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, really verses 19 through 27. But one thing I love about this text is it is an illustration within himself, which is really candy for a preacher. Here's what's fun about this. What Paul is doing is he's going ahead and he's comparing an action, a lifestyle to running the race set before us, to running the race as only we can through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And so personally, I love it when we start to talk about Athletics, because that starts to speak my language. I'm going to go ahead and make a little bit of a confession. This brace is not a fashion statement, but rather last week I played my favorite sport called rugby, and I play with a competitive team in Shreveport. And here's what I learned I learned that big dudes that weigh 300 pounds hurt when they fall on top of you. And uh, I made a tackle, and he fell on top of me and broke my arm a little bit above the wrist. And so you might notice that if I pound the pulpit when I get excited, I'll cry. And it won't be out of emotion. It will probably be because that was a dumb idea. And so bear with me today as we kind of fight through that. But you know what's funny about this sport of rugby? If you've never heard of rugby before, it's a really interesting game. It's the great-great-grandfather of American football. And really, to make rugby make sense, it's basically... Basically, like if you took American football and made it significantly manlier, and then you got yourself rugby. It's true. It's a true thing. And here's the thing. We don't have timeouts. There's not a bunch of stopping. There's not huddles in between plays. Like the play never stops. It continues to go. We get rid of those stupid things that people call pads because who needs those anyway? Whoever really, really benefited from a helmet, you know, because we're super smart. We eliminate all of that, and then you have the great sport of rugby. Right now, you guys might have saw it on the sports channel because rugby right now, we're currently in the World Cup series of rugby. And it's finally come down between England and South Africa to fight for the World Cup title, which I'm so pumped about. Now, let me tell you, I didn't grow up learning about rugby. I never heard much about rugby at all. I may have heard the word a couple of times, but I have no idea what was going on with this crazy sport called rugby. Every now and again, you'd see it on TV. You might see it on the internet and you'd watch it for a few minutes, but you didn't understand it. It's kind of a complicated game if you don't know what's going on. Things seem really weird. They're really different. And so you kind of lose interest and you change the channel. That was kind of me. Well, then what ended up happening was a buddy of mine, when I lived in Odessa, came up to me and he said, have you ever heard about rugby? I said, very little. He said, man, I'm all about rugby. And he told me so passionately about his favorite sport. And slowly it got me somewhat interested, but I still thought he was absolutely crazy because he kept saying rugby is not a game, it's a lifestyle. And he was so big on it. And it was just weird and just crazy. But he kept talking to me about it. And this guy lived rugby. Like that's all this dude wanted to talk about all the time. And every day he would ask me and bug me about rugby. Well, eventually, because of so much talking about it, I started to understand a little bit of the rules, which made watching it a little bit more fun. And after watching it for a little while, he convinced me, hey, dude, ride with me. Just jump in the car and come with me to practice. Just hang out at practice and see if you like it. Okay, so I go to practice 
And sure enough, there's a bunch of dudes. And rugby's this sport that is worldwide. So there's these guys in Odessa from all over the world that have gathered in Odessa, and they're playing rugby. And so it's this incredible experience. And so all of a sudden, I start to get involved in this sport, and now I have drank the Kool-Aid people. I am all into it. Y'all, you want to know my nickname on the rugby field? I am the pastor of pain. Yeah. They call me Pop for short. I love it. Here's what's awesome. Here, here, I want to bring it back just for a minute. Listen, I never would have showed up on that rugby field because I saw it on the internet. I never would have showed up to the rugby field because I heard a little bit about it. What did it take? It took somebody that was so passionate about this weird sport that I knew very little about that eat, slept, and breathe the sport to get me excited enough to go out. And once I engaged in it, man, I totally fell for it. Do you see where I'm going with this? See, we expect for people to come to faith in Christ, to get involved in church because we put out advertisements, because we wear Christian t-shirts, because we put ads out on Facebook. Can I just go ahead and throw this out to you? I have never met a single Christian that ever got saved because of your lame Christian t-shirt. Okay? I just never seen it happen. Just be honest with you. You can wear them. That's great. But guess what? I've never seen anybody come to faith in Christ because of it. Now, here's what I have seen. I've seen people getting cringy up here. Ooh, ooh. See, here's the deal. You can wear it, and that's great. But if you just wear it and never talk about it and never live it, it doesn't do anything for you. Can I be real with you? See, you have to be passionate enough to talk to other people about it in order for it to make any difference. That ad that you put on Facebook, that gospel track that you slipped the waitress, it really doesn't do as much as if you were to be passionate enough to talk to them about it. And I don't mean just once. See, I don't see that many people that get saved because of street preachers. Do you know that? And see, here's what's kind of interesting about our baptisms that we do. Do you know that I'm just going to go ahead and make up a stat that I'm guessing? 95% of the baptisms that we do aren't from salvations that happened in our sanctuary. They were salvations that happened because a believer spoke to an unbeliever. And next thing you know, that unbeliever is being led to the Lord by the believer. So how does the gospel get furthered? By us eating, sleeping, and breathing the gospel and making so much of the gospel that people are excited and interested in what we're doing and we hold on to them incessantly and we committingly pray for them and pursue them for the kingdom. Church, that is what Paul is talking about when we look at 1 Corinthians 19. See, here's something that's cool for me. See, when I'll just be honest. When I'm at church, I don't really hang out and meet lost people. I don't. Like, I, I eat, sleep, and breathe Emmanuel Baptist Church. And that is my full-time job. I love it. But guess what? Often, very, very rarely, let's go this way, very, very rarely do lost people ever want to talk to me. Most of the time when they hear I'm a pastor, they get a little nervous. They kind of know what my, uh, what my agenda would be. And they don't really want to be that open. 
So what do I end up doing most of my time? Most of my time, I end up talking to saved people. And y'all keep me busy because you guys got problems. Let me go ahead and tell you. Like, y'all have got some issues. If you saw my email list, my goodness, I'm just kidding, but y'all really do. My word. I love you to death, and I'm there for you. But here's what I noticed. If I don't intentionally hang out with lost people, I'll never meet them. If I don't go looking for them, they never come to me just because of the stage of life in which I'm in. So what I have to do is go for them. And that's where rugby has been for me. It has become my mission field. Because I'm there and I'm loving on these guys every single week. We're playing this sport that we both love and are passionate about. Next thing you know, guess what ends up happening? Anytime any of them has a fight with their wife, who do you think they end up calling for advice? Anytime that any of them have an issue with their kids, who do you think they ask for to pray for them? Every single time that one of them has a problem, who's the first person they call? Even though those guys, most of them are not Christians, they talk to me. Why do they talk to me? Because they still recognize that God has something to do with their lives. And they want somebody connected to the Lord to be a part of their lives, to pray for them and minister with them. That has become my biggest evangelical, evangelistic mission field that I see every week. But I have to go out and find it. Here's my thing. I wonder if some of you are a little bit like me. Some of you might be in a situation kind of similar to me. And I've heard some of you say this before. I really don't have an avenue where I meet lost people. Well, guess what? I think we're commanded to figure out where we can meet them to do something about that. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19 for a minute. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. See how passionate Paul is? To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. And so what Paul is doing here is he's talking to the people of Corinth, the church of Corinth, and they need a little bit of pep talk. And here's what Paul is doing. He's setting himself up as an example. And he's saying, I will do whatever it takes to reach the lost for the cause of Christ. I will not make excuses. Those that are under the law, those that are the Jews, I will do whatever I can to reach them. I will speak their language. I will hang out where they hang out. I will spend time with them. I will fall in love with what they fall in love with. Not choosing the sin, not falling in love with their sinful lifestyle, but doing whatever it takes to engage them where they are at. Here's the biggest problem with churches. Churches think that lost people are just going to come to us. Churches think that. Churches think that lost people are supposed to come to us. Nowhere in the Bible do I ever see where Jesus commanded for the lost to come to church. But I see often where Jesus commanded the church to go to lost people. Mm, some of you need to say amen. Some of you need to say ouch. Let me just go ahead and tell you, this is where we get things so twisted. We just think because we offer this great service every week and because Ricky does a fantastic worship program and because you got this pastor that spits and screams on the pulpit, 
people are going to get saved. Here's the deal. Do you realize that the church service really wasn't intended for that initially? Do you know that? Like the church service really wasn't initially created to win people to Christ. Like it was initially created to be a worship of the Lord. And the early church found that they were winning people to Christ outside the walls of their church. And then bringing them after they came to faith in Christ into the church. See, let me throw something out to you. Can a lost person truly worship Jesus? Can somebody that's not saved worship a God that they don't have relationship with? No. Now, do I think you should invite everybody you meet to church? Absolutely. But here's what I think you need to recognize. You do not need the worship service to make much of Jesus. You do not need the Sunday morning worship experience to lead people to the Lord. That's what you have been called to do. Every time I look at scripture, I see where it calls the church to go out, not where it calls for the world to come in. We're supposed to go out and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what we need to be passionate about. And so Paul does this big push on evangelism. And then he starts to say this very popular text that we love in verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run so that you may obtain it. Okay, so Paul just all of a sudden says this great text that we love, but what's the race? The race is to make much of the gospel. The race that he's talking about is for us to be evangelistic in our lives, making less of ourselves and making more of Jesus, doing whatever we can to see the gospel go forward. So he says, have the mindset of an athlete in a race all the runners run, but only one receives a prize. Run that you may obtain it. So we saying, have the mindset of an athlete. Now, what's the mindset of an athlete? The goal of an athlete is to do what? One thing and one thing only is to win. It is to win. You look at verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives a prize? See, church, as Christians, our desire is to please the Lord by making much of Jesus. That is how we define a win in our lives. That is how we define a win. I read this illustration this week that back in the 1940s, there was a second baseman named Eddie Stanky. They said he battled his way through 11 seasons for National League teams, including the champion Brooklyn Dodgers, the Boston Braves, and the New York Giants. But apparently, he wasn't a natural baseball player. He didn't have the talents you'd expect of a professional baseball player. One of the managers even said this, he can't run, he can't hit, he can't throw. But if there's a way to beat the other team, Stanky will find it. Church? I love that. I love that because you have this guy that's super passionate. He goes, I don't have a bit of talent, but I'm going to do everything I can to win. I want for us to have that desire to win as we run this race called life. So many Christians, we live life just waiting for life to happen to us. We wait for life to happen, but that's not how an athlete works. We just wait for all of a sudden there to be this moment where somebody comes up to us and asks, hey, what must I do to be saved? You know, have you ever had that happen to you? Like, I, like we haven't. 
Like people don't do that on a general basis, right? So we must have a plan in order to make much of Jesus. Because if we don't have a plan, guess what? It's just not going to fall into our laps, church. We have to have a plan to be evangelistic, just like a runner or an athlete does whatever it takes to win. They come up with a training plan. They devise a plan in order that they might win. Now, as Paul is talking about these games, there's three games that come to mind that the people of Corinth would have known about. The Olympic Games, which actually weren't the most popular for them at the time. And then you had the Delphi Games, which are held in Delphi. And then you had the most prominent, which was the Isthmian Games. The Isthmian Games were actually held in Corinth, and there were five events. Running, boxing, wrestling, long jump, and discus. And these games were huge. And there were three things that you had to do, you had to agree to, in order to compete in these games. The first one was you had to be a Greek-born citizen. You had to agree to all of the rules. And number three, you had to commit to at least 10 months of training. They made a vow to the gods that they would put forth all of their effort, all of their time to full-time training for at least 10 months so that they could put forth their very best effort when the games came. These People were serious. And as Paul talks about having the dedication of an athlete, this is what the church of Corinth starts to think about. This is what starts to roll around in their mind. They start to think that, hey, maybe this means that we have to be more dedicated than what we realize. That rather than letting life just happen to us, we have to be proactive in making much of Jesus. Now, when we run our race, I don't want for you to think that we're running against other Christians. That's really not it. We're running against the obstacles of this world in order to please the Lord. And we run after a prize we'll get to in a little bit. So how do we run after the Lord in order to receive the prize? Well, Paul gives us two clear ways. The first one, every athlete exercises self-control in all things is what he says in verse 25. So what he's saying is we have to discard anything that gets in the way of you running your best race. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely to us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. If you're running a race, the very last thing that you want to do is put on a backpack with a couple bricks in it, right? Would you ever, ever think that was sufficient? See, I really get into hiking. Like, your pastor's dream one day is to hike the entire Appalachian Trail from beginning to end, from Georgia to Maine. And I've studied a little bit about this. And here's the big thing that goes into this. Every hiker wants to make their pack as light as possible. And they go to extremes. I mean, extremes that you wouldn't think would matter. They cut half of the bristles off of their toothbrush just not to have that extra weight. They get frustrated if they find a candy bar wrapper in their pants pocket because it was weight they didn't need to carry. They will take, cut corners every way they can to take as little of a weight as possible on the trail because every ounce added that's not needed has an effect in the long run. Church, we have to cast off every weight that binds. Now, here's what this does. This allows for us to eliminate gray area in the Christian life. 
Okay, Gray area in the Christian life. If it can't help you serve Jesus, if it can't help you bring the gospel forward, if it can't help you make much of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then can I just go ahead and say, according to this text and your pastor's belief, throw it aside. See, I was once asked when I was really younger, I was 21, 22, and I was really getting into being a pastor, I really wanted to invest in it, and there's this big movement right now about the alcohol thing, and I'm going to be a little gutsy with y'all, so be forgiving with me, okay? I'm going to be a little young and dumb, and that's okay. But here's what's interesting. When I was 21, 22, I sat down with a senior pastor, and I told him, I said, nowhere in Scripture does it say that drinking alcohol is a sin. He said, oh, I agree. And I said, okay, cool, so I can. And he said, let me ask you something. Will it ever help you be more effective for the kingdom of God? You as a pastor, will it ever make you more effective for the kingdom? And I said, um, no. And he said, okay. So at the very best, it won't hurt you, but it can never help you. And I said, yes, sir. But it could hurt you. Yes, sir. And he said, okay. So if you're supposed to cast off every weight that binds And if that can't help you, why do you even want to mess with that? And for this pastor, for this individual Christian, I recognize that that is not the choice I need to make. I will push that aside because it will never make me better for the gospel. It will never make me better to pursue Jesus. Can I go ahead and tell you, here's what I'm learning. Even last night, I get a phone call of somebody having the worst night of their life. I am glad that nobody ever has to guess if I will be with it mentally to handle whatever they're going through no matter when they call me. Because guess what? As a Christian, we're never off duty. We're never off duty. Listen, you need to make that judgment for yourself. I'm not here casting judgment on anything that you feel like God has called you or not called you to do when it comes to that gray area. But I think you need to ask that question. Will it ever get in the way of you making much of Jesus? And if it can If it could, why waste our time, our money, and any resources if it could hurt us taking the gospel forward? Here's what I've learned. I've learned this. In my short 32 years of life, life moves a lot faster than we realize. And before we know it, we are at the end of our life wondering where all the time has gone. Wondering where all the time has gone. So guess what? We need to do everything we can to make much of Jesus as much as we can. Because guess what? The little bit of time that we get on this earth is so quick and so fleeting. Let's not waste a second getting caught up in things that could slow us down as we choose to make much of Jesus. Then the next thing we have to do is we discipline our bodies. In verse 26, so I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. He says to be intentional. Verse 27, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. See, Paul is calling out spiritually out of shape Christians. And he's saying so many of you are just letting life happen. But you're not spiritually in shape. How do we get spiritually in shape? By spiritually exercising. Doing things that aren't always fun but are always beneficial. Listen, I choose to work out not because I enjoy working out but because I enjoy the benefits that come from staying in shape. Church, I don't always, the the, the fair pastor confession here, I don't always enjoy waking up and doing my Bible study. Can I be honest? There are some days when I just don't want to. Fair statement. 
but I'm always better for it every single time. As we pursue Jesus, how do we spiritually exercise to become better? We commit to prayer. Prayer is one of the most unutilized aspects of the Christian faith. We commit to prayer. We commit to the study of God's word. We get into the word so the word gets into us. And then I think another often, often, often misunderstood, unrecognized part, an unrecognized discipline of the faith is the memorization of scripture. Church, I've had so many people of you come to me thanking me that we make scripture memorization important here. And I've had some of you concerned. Let me go ahead and tell you. I recognize that it adds a little bit of stress on your life. I I recognize that. But if we can stress a little bit about Scripture, when stressful things in life come, those real-world stresses, and we have Scripture hidden in our hearts that we can depend on, it will lessen the stress that we face. We will always push Scripture memorization here. It is that important. A Christian that refuses to memorize Scripture is like a bodybuilder that refuses to do leg day. Okay? We have to memorize Scripture. We have to hide God's Word in our heart. We have to have discipline. Now hear me. There's a difference between legalism and discipline. Legalism is duty. See, I said that really scary, controversial word in the Baptist church, the alcohol word. See, I recognize, hey, don't be a legalist. Hey, I'm not being a legalist at all. I'm saying that's not for me because out of duty for Christ, I feel like that would truly get in the way of me making much of Jesus, just personally, okay? If there's anything in your life that could ever get in the way of you making much of Jesus, cast it aside, not out of legalism, but out of duty, devotion, and commitment to the Lord. Let's look at verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run so that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable wreath. So all of a sudden they start to talk about this motive, this motivation, this wreath. Now, Sometimes in scripture they use the word crown. But funny thing, the word crown is actually never used in the original languages within the New Testament. There's two words. There's one word for the word diadem. And there's another word that we might use for the word reef that's often translated as crown. But it's really called the word stephanos. And for them, their Stephanos, the crown, the imperishable or perishable crown they're talking about for the Isthmian games was a crown or a wreath made out of pine straw. And what Paul is trying to say here is that if they are so willing to run for a crown made out of pine straw, how much more willing should we be to run for the furtherment of the gospel of Jesus Christ, putting forth every effort we have to make much of Jesus? Now, the diadems are something interesting. The diadems were what was given to each runner because, like I said before, there were multiple events that you could compete in in the Isthmian Games. And typically, an athlete would compete in multiple events. And each time they won an event, they would, be, they would receive a diadem. And at the end of the games, they would see who had the most diadems. And the person that had the most diadems would be rewarded the crown, the wreath of pine straw. Only one person got to have that, the one who competed in the games and received the most diadems. Now let's look for a minute at Revelation chapter 19, just for a second, verse 11. 
I saw heaven standing open. And there before me was a white horse, talking about Jesus, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many diadems. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. See, as he uses that language, there are many diadems. What that is showing is that that coming savior the messiah that's going to come for the second coming is going to come with many diadems representing all of the victories see we serve the champion we follow after the champion the all-time undisputed undefeated champion of the world y'all i have a song that really really shaped me as a young kid when i thought about the lord and i want to share this song with you Now listen, some of you guys are going to think I'm weird. Some of you younger folks, this is totally going to go over your head. And then some of my senior adult folks, you might remember this group called the Cathedrals. See, the Cathedrals were the all-time best quartet to have ever touched Southern Gospel. I want to show you this clip just for a second. Ladies and gentlemen, may I have your attention. I want to introduce to you in this corner of the good and the right stands a champion robed in white his height exceeds the heavens his weight outweighs the world his reach reaches everywhere his age is ever Kanye ever did an album. These boys were doing it so good. My goodness. Y'all, can I just tell you, you think I'm listening to Lecrae out in the parking lot. I'm jamming out to the cathedrals, baby. They had it going on. And here's what I love about that. Those words, he is the all-time undisputed, undefeated champion. See, we serve a Savior that has never lost a battle. He's never been defeated every race he's ever entered. He has ran to win. And that's the Jesus we are called to imitate. We are called to imitate a winner who casted aside everything that could get in the way so that he could win the race of love for you. And that's the race we run. We run a race to make much of the gospel to other people. Matthew 16, 27, for the son of man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his father. And then he will repay each person according to what he has done. God honors faithfulness. We see that there will be a reward for those who are evangelistic. For those that make much of the gospel. Church, I want to put up a picture for you of a racer 
that has made an incredible difference. What you're about to see is this man in white is named Elliot Kipchoge. He is a Kenyan runner, and he about two weeks ago did something that no one has ever done. If you follow the running world, you would know that Elliot Kipchoge just broke the two-hour mark for running 26.2 miles. He ran a marathon in one hour, 59 minutes, and 40 seconds. That has never been done before. That pace is running each mile at four minutes and 34 seconds. That's the equivalent of running a 5K, a 5K at a 14-13 pace, 14-minute pace, eight times. This guy is incredible. He did what nobody thought could be done, and he won that record. But there was a few secrets to his success I want to pay attention to for a moment. The first thing Elliot did was he recognized he could not do this alone. See, as you see right there, you see five runners in front of him. But there's also two more behind him. And saying that, there was about seven runners that ran with him at a time. But there were 41 pacers. 41 pacers. He got the best runners from all over the world to commit to run with him, each for a portion. And they would change them out, put fresh ones in to set the pace. They also ran in this formation that they thought would decrease the wind resistance on Elliot. And they put two guys behind him just to run behind him to encourage him and chase him so that he would run faster. He recognized he could never do it by himself. 41 pacers. But not only that, do you know that Elliot actually attempted this about a year and a half ago and he failed? He failed by about a minute. And the reason why he says he failed is because he felt very alone. And why he was running on the original attempt, there was no one on the streets. They closed off every street. They kind of made it private event. Nobody even knew he was going to do it in this very secluded part of the world. There was no encouragement. So here's what he did this time. He said, can you tell everybody around that I'm running and encourage everybody to come out and to cheer me on because I believe I'll run better if I'm being encouraged by other people. See, Elliot said this, 100% of me is nothing compared to 1% of the team. He recognized he needed community. Church, as you run this race, making much of Jesus and less of yourself, you need community. You need people to push you. You need runners to run alongside of you. And can I just go ahead and plug Emmanuel just for a second? We have some of the best runners for the kingdom I've ever had the privilege of being around that will pace you, that will encourage you, that will help you to run faster than you've ever ran before for the kingdom if you'll trust the Lord and submit to Him. Not only did He commit to community, but also, can we show that other picture? See, what you're about to see is the pace car in front of him. He had these men around him to cut down on drag, and then he had this pace car with these lasers that shot lasers at the ground where their feet needed to be in order to stay on pace and to keep in formation. See, some runners would say that Elliot really didn't earn the record because he had so much help. He had all these pacers. He had so much technology. And you know what Elliot said? I don't care. 
I'm going to do whatever I need to do to set the record. And I don't care what other people think. I'm going to do whatever it takes to reach my goal. Listen, people are going to mock us for making much of Jesus. People are going to think we're weird from turning down some of the pleasures of this world in order to pursue Christ wholeheartedly. And that's okay. Because guess what? We don't run for them. We run for the pleasure of our Father. And then lastly, here's what I love about Elliot. Elliot set this record at 34 years old. And from the moment he was born, he started to achieve his goal. He was committed from very early on to doing whatever it took to being the world's best runner. Church, let me tell you this. We have to be committed every single day to make much of Jesus, depriving ourselves and our selfish ambitions and our selfish desires in order to pursue Jesus 100%. Church, when I look at Scripture, I don't see anywhere where it calls for God's people to simply go through the motions. I just don't. Wouldn't that be nice? But here's what I do see. I see where God's Word says that this life is so fast and so fleeting, but heaven is eternal. And so let's run to make an eternal effect. And let me tell you a secret about evangelism. God doesn't need you. God doesn't need you. God can save people without your help, but aren't we so blessed that he chooses to use us as his tool to make much of the gospel? Because here's what he's doing. He's saying, I can be a winner without you, but I'm going to allow you to be on my team. The all-time undisputed champion says, you can be on my team. And when we submit and we listen to our Savior, we are guaranteed to take part in his victory. He doesn't need us, but he chooses to use us. He says, listen, <laughs> cast off every weight that binds and follow me. I will put you on my team and allow you to take part of my victory as we make much of Jesus together. Are we glad that we have a Savior that chooses, chooses to allow us to be a part of his grand plan? Church, we love to sing this song, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. <laughs> I hope it will be. Because I hope that when we get there, we're proud of the effort that we put forth in making much of Jesus while we're on this side of heaven. Church, I love you. I recognize I'm asking some bold things here. I'm asking us to not live a life of normalcy because there's only three things that are eternal. God, His Word, and the souls of men and women. So let's live for the things that make eternal impact. Church, will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your Word today. God, we thank you that we have the opportunity to make much of you. God, we, have, we thank you that we have the opportunity to live not an ordinary life, but rather to live a life following an extraordinary Savior. God, I pray that we will not take this task lightly. You have chosen to put us on your winning team. So God, I pray that we take that charge seriously and we begin to train ourselves in godliness so that we can produce for you. 
but we're so grateful for you. God, I pray you'll soften hearts in here. For those that don't know you, God, I pray that you'll soften their hearts to come to the altar. God, for those that need prayer, for those that need baptism, for those that want to join the church, God, I pray that you will soften their heart to make eternal decisions that will have eternal impacts. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.